Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We're going to talk about chapter 10 in Revelation today. The angel with a little scroll. And this is not the scroll, but it's a scroll uh, that is similar, but it's smaller. It's defined as being uh, that. It's smaller. The seven peals of thunder in response to this mighty angel that comes down and makes this declaration, roars like a lion. It's really rather fascinating. The truth of the matter is, just to give you a heads up, we have no idea what this means. <laughs> Anybody that wants to tell you that they know what this means, the fact of the matter is, is John was told to, see, to seal up uh, this revelation. And so we really don't have a full idea of uh, understanding completely what is being revealed here. Uh, but there's several things that I want to bring out as we kind of walk through this and, and just um, look at this particular passage, look at this uh, uh, chapter 10 and this revelation. I think one of the main things that comes out of this is the idea of mystery. Mystery. Do you like mysteries? I like uh, watching mysteries. I like trying to solve the problems. I like good storylines that, that have a mystery to it. Uh, the word mystery, just from the very front here, is the idea of something that has been covered, and from this perspective, biblically, not just in the Revelation, but in the New Testament, it is something that only God can reveal. And when we talk about the apocalypse, normally we talk about the revelation or the apocalypse from the standpoint of something devastating, right? Apocalyptic. This uh, disaster was apocalyptic. And we think of disaster because in Revelation, there's so many different disasters. There's so many things that are happening uh, that are just horrific. And it's hard to even imagine. We get tastes and glimpse of it. But this is on a worldwide scale that we've never experienced. Planet Earth has really, other than the flood, never experienced. And the fact of the matter is, when we're talking about the apocalypse, what we're actually saying is the uncovering of something. The technical word for revelation, apocalypse, is the idea of uncovering. And what are we having uncovered for us? It is the truth of the reality of the identity of Jesus Christ. It is the revelation, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. It is the, the revealing, it is the uncovering in a full manifested disclosure to the world and the universe that Jesus Christ is the king. Now, we know that Christ lives within us. There's coming a moment where the entire universe is going to have this revealed in a way that is absolutely amazing and hard to even imagine. When we talk about mystery, we're talking about something that God covers and that only the Lord himself is able to reveal and I would put it this way, the mystery of God has been proclaimed and will come to pass. See, God has given something to us. It's revelation. It is the, the word of God. It is the Old Testament. It's the New Testament. And in this particular passage, we're going to see something in terms of the uncovering, something that has already been disclosed to the prophets and that will now come 
to pass. We may not know exactly what the seven peals of thunder are saying and or what this strong and mighty angel is declaring, but we do know that at this particular moment in this section of scripture, that what is being declared absolutely without fail is that God is not going to delay anymore and that which he has said will take place is now going to be finalized. Think about that. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, there's a great passage about how God begins to accomplish his plans. And he says this, this is the plan devised against the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out against all the nations, for the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? When the Lord God Almighty declares something, decrees something, who's going to stand in his way to stop it? And that's the issue here in chapter 10 of Revelation. Look at that. Revelation chapter 10. Let's look at the first part of this. We have a scroll and seven peals of thunder that are revealed through the revelation given to John In the first several verses here, he says, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud. And the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, which was open. That's the word for scroll. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land, and he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered, their voices. Now what we have here is an amazing picture of a strong angel coming down with a little book that was opened and he places his right foot on the sea, his left on the land. He cries out with a loud voice like a lion and seven peals of thunder utter their voices in response. Some would suggest that this is the Lord Jesus Christ and I would disagree with that. Right? We're not going to break fellowship over it, and I'll give you why I disagree with that. There are certain things that seem to be characteristic of the Lord. He appeared in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. And so there are times where we have these epiphanies, we have these uh, pictures of who Christ is, even before he was born on this earth. Certainly in this particular passage, coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, right? Rainbow upon his head. We saw in chapters five and six this picture of the throne room of heaven and we had rainbows depicted. We had all kinds of different issues that are given in terms of even how John saw the Lord, the feet like pillars of fire, his face like the sun. And so some would say, well, this is clearly the Lord Jesus Christ and I would Sort of disagree with that. I believe it's a strong angel. Angel means messenger. He says, I saw another strong angel. We've been looking at the the first six trumpets. The seventh trumpet has yet to be sounded by the seventh trumpet angel. And in the midst of this particular moment, We have a backdrop given to us in the midst of Revelation, and this angel comes down. It's kind of like a parenthetical inclusion within the seven trumpets, and it gives us a background picture of the judgment that's taking place on this earth. 
but it's another strong angel. It's not one of the six that have already sounded. It's not the seventh that is about to sound. It is another, and that word in the Greek simply means another of the same kind. It is an angel like the ones that have sounded, but it's a different one. I don't believe this is the Lord. I believe this is an angel, and I believe this is a special angel who's coming down in order to reveal that judgment is imminent and that it will now be accomplished. I believe where we are in the timeline of things is basically at the middle of the tribulation, the seventh trumpet, the seventh angel trumpet, when sounds, when it sounds, now the seven bowls begin to be poured out, and I believe that takes up the last three and a half years of the tribulation. The second reason I don't believe this is Christ is because later in verse six, this angel swears by him. And so I think he clearly gives credit to the one who's in control and over all things. He's the creator of the universe and this angel is swearing by the Lord and decreeing that that which has been given to him in this book to accomplish will be accomplished and it will be accomplished without delay. Walverd states this, the contents of the little book are nowhere revealed in Revelation, but they seem to represent in this vision the written authority given to the angel to fulfill his mission. When he places one foot on the sea and another on land, it indicates the full scope of the judgment that is taking place. The first three and a half years are now coming to an end, and the next three and a half years, the last three and a half years, are about to begin with the blowing of the seventh trumpet and the opening, if you will, of the seventh trumpet where the seven bowls of wrath are now poured out upon earth, finalizing, finishing, bringing to a conclusion the tribulation. After crying out with a roar like a lion and is answered in, uh, by the seven peals of thunder, we don't know what they said, we don't know what the judgments are, as John is told to seal up what they spoke, and that's what he goes into in verse 4. When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and it's interesting that John was about to write. You can see in different passages that we've already looked at where John had no clue what he was looking at, and he wasn't sure exactly what to write. Here, he evidently understood exactly what was going on because he's about to write, and he's told not to. And it's interesting because in the midst of all this revelation that's taking place, in the midst of uncovering these mysteries that God has spoken to the prophets in times past and made clear through the word of God, it's interesting that there are still evidently things that are mysteries that we are not permitted to know. John evidently knew what it was, but he was told to seal it up. It says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. And then in verse 5, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. Now, I don't know what translation you've got. If you've got NIV, the newly invented version, God bless you. Or maybe you've got something else. NIV's fine. 
There's differences. It's a transliteration. They're trying to get the thought, the idea across. New American Standard, King James, New King James, and others are trying to get the specific wording as clear as possible across into the English language. That's the reality of it. But some of them say that there will no longer be any time. Well, technically, that word for uh, time that's being used here is the idea of chronos, chronological time. But in this particular context, he's not saying that there's not going to be any time any longer. Otherwise, the last three and a half years, why would we even take time, if you will, in order to count the three and a half years? What he's saying is that there will no longer be a delay in bringing about what has already been revealed to the prophets. And that's exactly what he says in verse 7. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. We're at a moment where the seventh angel trumpet is about to sound and all that God has already prophesied and given in his word is about to come to fulfillment. It will not be delayed any longer. What is it that's going to be fulfilled? Well, first of all, there's the putting down of sin and rebellion. Secondly, there's the drawing of Israel back to himself. And third, there is the millennial kingdom that is going to be established where Jesus Christ rules and reigns personally from Jerusalem. All of that now is about to take place. It's about to be fulfilled. When that seventh trumpet sounds and therefore unleashes the seven bowls that take place through the last three and a half years, all that God has prophesied will not be delayed any longer. That's quite a moment, folks. How many of us would absolutely love if the Lord Jesus Christ came back right now? I would. See, there's a delay. There's a delay, and we don't know exactly why that is. We are not in the council of the throne room of the triune almighty God. We don't know when that's going to take place. We may get indicators, but we need to be careful about being absolute concerning what those indicators mean. And in the midst of it all, we understand that in the meantime, in the meantime, we're here to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to be used of him as conduits through which his glory is being revealed. The truth of the reality of his identity, which is love. So we wait expectantly. We long for expectantly. We look for. (laughs) We're in prayer for. We can't wait for, we're prepared for, but in the midst of it, in the meantime, we continue to follow the Lord for what he has for us today. Here, what's being said is there will no longer be any delay. This will be finished. Wow. That's a pretty amazing moment, folks. Think about that. Planet Earth is on a collision course in effect with the return, the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ who has promised that he will return again and that he will do exactly what he said he will do, which is put an end to sin, put an end to rebellion and establish his throne in 
Jerusalem, bringing Israel back to himself. Folks, I don't know at what moment we are, but I can't imagine that we're not in the very last of the last of the last days and that that clock is ticking and there's coming a moment very soon when the Lord says, I'm coming to get my church. And folks, the question is, are we ready for that? Are we prepared for that? Are we looking forward to that? Because as believers, what a hope, what, what a glory we have in that truth. Well, these things are sealed up. John is told to seal them up. The angel makes it clear there's no, not going to be any delay uh, any longer. It's going to be finished. And then he goes on. He says, the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. And you know, it's interesting because in that sense, what he's saying is this mystery is, in effect, no longer a mystery. It's already been proclaimed. It's already been proclaimed. And what is exactly he's talking about? Well, I think the context is clear, and we've talked about it. It's the return of Christ and establishing of his kingdom in Jerusalem over this entire world. And it's the millennium kingdom. The mystery of God is finished in the days of the seventh trumpet angel when he sounds. It's been preached to the prophets, meaning the Old Testament, and certainly now what John is having revealed to him. Walvert again states it this way, it's often overlooked, however, that the mystery is said to have been declared to his servants, the prophets. The mystery of God, which is declared as subject of fulfillment, is unfolded, therefore, in the Old Testament and the many passages which speak of the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth. The prediction is related to the full manifestation of the divine power, majesty, and holiness of God which will be evident in the glorious return of Christ, the establishment of his millennial kingdom, and the creation of the eternal state which will follow. What a marker. What an amazing moment in heaven for this angel to come and place one foot on land and another foot on the sea and to declare that there will no longer be any delay, that this will be accomplished. In verse 8 and following, we see that John is going to be sent to proclaim further. He says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven I heard again speaking with me and saying, Go, take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel. Now, I, <laughs> I got a warped sense of humor sometimes, but that's a pretty funny moment. Have you ever thought, I mean, what would you do? What would I do? Here's this incredible angel that comes down. He's, he's powerful beyond anything that we could even begin to describe. And the voice, which is probably the same voice, it's probably in effect the voice of God, chapter 4, verse 1, and in different points of time where a voice is telling John what to go do. This voice comes out of heaven and basically tells John, oh, go to that angel. Now, what would you do? You say, ah. Oh. Really? <laughs> you want me to get what from this guy? <laughs> I don't know. Evidently, you don't think that's as funny as I do. <laughs> so he's told to go and take it. He's go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and the land. So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. I mean, that's a little moxie, isn't it? <laughs> hey, give me the book. I love it. He doesn't say, can I please have the book? I mean, that's not what's recorded here. 
He says, telling him to give me the little book. I love it. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. It's interesting. John's told to go get the book from the strong angel. He does so. The angel tells him to eat it and that it's going to taste sweet like honey. Anybody else like honey? I love honey on chocolate syrup with chocolate ice cream. It, it's, I do. Have you ever tried it? Come on now. You're laughing at me about it, but you've never tried it. It's awesome. I even got my family hooked on this thing. It's good. I love honey. It's sweet, like honey, when he tastes it to his mouth, but then it's going to be bitter to his stomach. Now, what are we talking about? Well, we don't know absolutely 100% sure, but it appears that this book, in effect, is the Word of God. And the reason it's sweet to John is because when you talk about the Word of God and you talk about what it means to us as believers, it's the grace of God, it's the goodness of God, it's the promises of God, it's the faithfulness of God, it's the love of God, it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and how we can have hope, assurance in our future because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the promise that's attached with it is irrevocable. We will be saved. And so in the midst of this, when he takes this book, which may be the Word of God, and he eats it, it's sweet because of all the things that as believers we have the privilege of enjoying. But when it gets to his stomach, it's bitter. Why? Well, John would certainly know this because he's been exiled on the island of Patmos, which is where he's being given this revelation. He's been separated from family. He's been separated from society. He's been persecuted for the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a, there's a bitterness, there's persecution that comes, there's different factors that come. All of it's good, we know that it's filtered through the Lord's hands, but it's still difficult. And that may very well be the bitterness that's being declared here. How have you suffered for the gospel? You know, we've got teams in Thailand and, and Myanmar right now, and some of those precious, precious people have suffered for the gospel. Sometimes I think our suffering amounts to, well, we're being told we shouldn't wear a cross or, or we shouldn't have a Christmas emblem or we shouldn't declare that Christmas is Christmas, and as a result, we think we've been persecuted. And there's a, there's a truth to that because it can be embarrassing and it can be difficult but none of us that I am aware of, I know certainly myself, have resisted to the point of shedding blood. Amen? We talk about suffering. We talk about persecution. There, there's a difficulty in this. When we choose to say yes to the Lord and follow him, when we are believers and then God invites us to join him and follow him even more and more and more, you know what? Uh, those who desire to walk godly in Christ Jesus may be persecuted, will be persecuted. How are we willing to suffer for the Lord? How are we willing to take a stand with boldness? How are we willing to say, my Lord is right, and I'm going to follow him no matter the cost? And how are we doing that today? in this politically 
correct, amok society, how are we willing to say Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father apart from him? Are we willing to do that? No matter what the response may be, we can do that in kindness. We can do that gently. It's the kindness of God that draws all men to repentance, to change their minds about what they believe in G- about Jesus and change it to what's really true about who he is, that he's the Savior. But are we willing to follow him in the midst of that? Sweet to the taste, but with difficulty to follow. And thank God for his grace in that. Amen? Thank the Lord that he doesn't leave us as orphans on this earth. Thank the Lord that he walks with us in the midst of it. Thank the Lord that he gives us grace and he empowers us. He strengthens us in the inner man. So no matter what the pressure from the external may be, he equalizes that pressure from inside in order that we are able to stand, not because of our own strength and our own goodness, but rather because of the grace and the goodness of our Lord. John is told he's going to prophesy to many, and the list given is comprehensive regarding the nations and the people of the earth, and clearly, even through the book of Revelation, this takes place. How many countless thousands, really millions, have read this book and understand, maybe not all the details and all the intricacy, but understand that Jesus is coming again and soon. Let me just kind of take a little bit of a sideline with you, okay? Can I do that without losing you? The mysteries of God, right? There's so many different interesting moments here when we talk about the mysteries of God. I'm not going to go through all of them. We don't have time, but Romans 11.25 is a partial hardening of Israel. Their unbelief in Christ the Messiah at this time. One of the reasons for Revelation and Daniel's 70th week, the tribulation, the great tribulation, and the seven-year period of time is for the restoration of Israel to the Lord because he's a covenant-keeping God. And Paul in Romans chapter 11 says, Israel is not cast away. May it never be. Why? Because the Lord keeps his promises. It's irrevocable with regard to who Israel is and the Lord's love for them and relationship with them. But there is a partial hardening of Israel, and that is in some ways a mystery. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51, we we looked at this several weeks ago in terms of the rapture. There's the mystery of the rapture are being changed in the twinkling of an eye, right? The dead in Christ will go up first, and then we who remain, who are alive, will be caught up together with them in the air, and we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Or 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, the mystery of lawlessness. Lawlessness is just a word for sin. It's that which is anti-law. It is against God's law. It's against God's way. It's rebellious in all the different aspects of it. There's a mystery of lawlessness, and the lawless one meaning Satan. Revelation 17, we'll get there soon. The The mystery of Babylon, we'll get to that later. But I want to give you three particular mysteries that you and I have the opportunity as believers to enjoy today. And the first is the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our salvation, our rescue, our forgiveness in Christ. Romans 16, 25, Paul spent this amazing letter 
to the Romans concerning doctrine and who we are. It's the constitution of our faith. And he gets to the end of it and he says, Now to him, meaning Christ, who is able to establish you according to my gospel, good news, and the preaching or the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is what? Manifested. That word manifested means brought to light. It was a secret in the past, but now in Christ Jesus it has been made known, brought to light, manifested. In 1 Corinthians 2.7, Paul writes, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. And what is he talking about? He's talking again about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Grace New Testament commentary puts it this way. What is God's wisdom in a mystery? It's God's plan of salvation. The message of the cross expresses God's design and objective beyond what he had revealed in the past. The gospel was not a postscript. It was something planned before the ages for our glory. Wow. Ephesians 6, 19, Paul says, Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Or in Colossians 4, 3, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison. Folks, we have had a mystery which from ages past was not fully understood, made known to us today. And it's the mystery of the gospel. It's the mystery of Christ himself. The plan of salvation. How to be saved. How can we be reconciled to God? It is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. It is because he went to the cross and he died and he was buried and he rose again. And thank God for it because none of us would have any hope at all whatsoever if it were not for the plan of salvation that God is the one that instituted. Folks, that is something worth shouting about. Secondly, When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we're saved, there's the mystery of the church, which is our new family. It's the body of Christ. Ephesians 1.9, he says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, meaning in Christ. And in chapter 3, verses 4, and then verse 6, he says, By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. And verse 6, he says, To be specific, he clarifies what mystery he's talking about. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through what? The gospel. The salvation that God has provided, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and the promise that we will be saved. The Gentiles are now fellow heirs. What a beautiful truth that the oracles of God have been given to Israel, the very words of God, the very promises of God, but that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. How so? Because of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, a Jewish man, the God-man, who came to go to the cross so that we might be saved and we may be called into fellowship with him and one another in the church. 
It's one of the mysteries that we have the opportunity of enjoying. Well, third and last but not least, the mystery of Christ in us, in you, our power, the life of Christ, all that we need in order to walk. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, he says this, that is the mystery. He's talking about the preaching of, of the word of God. Paul said, this is what I'm called to. I didn't come up with it on my own. I wasn't given it to by men. I was given it to by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he talks about the proclamation the preaching of the word of God, and he explains what that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested, brought to light to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. The mystery, even the prophets of old long to look into what it is that they were being indicated and what was being told to them and that they didn't fully understand. But today that mystery has been uncovered and we understand that it is not only the salvation that God has provided through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not only the calling of all people into one new body, the church. It is also that Christ himself would come to live within us. Wow. What an amazing truth that we have the opportunity and the privilege of walking in. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, he says that their hearts, he's speaking of the believers, may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. A true knowledge of God. You know why it says true there? Because true is not in the original language. The word for knowledge means the added on knowledge of God. The knowledge that we could never come to a conclusion of in and of ourselves. It's the true knowledge that God had to reveal. And what is that true knowledge of God's mystery? That which he has covered over but now has disclosed because he alone can disclose it. That is Christ himself. Wow. You want to know how to walk? You better know Christ you want to understand how to walk in grace and faith and love and all the right? you got to know Christ, and you got to learn to walk with Christ who lives in us to do through us what God knows apart from him we could have never done on our own. Folks, the whole picture of what God has done for us is remarkable. When we hit chapter 10 in Revelation, this strong angel comes down and he gives this statement that there will no longer be any delay and that the mystery that had been given to the prophets is now going to take place. We have the opportunity of walking with the Lord and experiencing him every moment of every day that the mysteries that have long past been hidden have now been made manifested to us. It's Christ. It's Christ himself. I've been working on some scripture memories. Psalm 96.2. Love this verse. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. And I love this. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Boy, that's captured me over the last couple weeks. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of what? Of his salvation. When? From day to day. Folks, we have 
good tidings to proclaim. We have great tidings. We have amazing tidings. We have tidings that the Lord himself has uncovered and only the Lord can make known. And we have the Lord Jesus Christ living within us in order to strengthen us and empower us and give us the wisdom to walk in what it is that he's called us into. And the question is, are we proclaiming him from day to day? What would it look like if everybody in here yielded to the Holy Spirit, walking with the Lord, no matter what your environment may be, maybe it's at work, maybe it's at home, maybe it's as you're walking, maybe it's in the drive-thru, maybe it's at the, at the uh, restaurant when you talk to your waiter or waitress, wherever it may be, that we were praying as a body of believers, Lord, could we have the opportunity today of proclaiming, sharing, heralding your good tidings of your salvation? Is there somebody that I would have the privilege of sharing with the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? What would that look like? I think it would be pretty amazing. Can we pray that? Can we ask the Lord to do that in our hearts? Can we get out of this political correct nonsense and stop worrying about offending everybody when the truth of the matter is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer because Christ himself is the one who comes in to change and transform and to save. Can we do that? Can you think about that? Can you pray about that? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 